Well, hey, everyone. Um, happy to see you all, new friends and old friends. Um, I'm Janet B. I've recovered from compulsive eating and bulimia. And um, the talk I do after the ninth step, I call it to infinity and beyond because we work through the steps and then there's no ceiling. The sky and beyond the sky is the limit. So before I get into that, especially because there's, you know, a few new new people or new-ish people, I just like, we'll do a quick run through very quick of how we get to this part where we get the promises, right? So we come in and if we, there's a requirement to start doing the work, right? Anyone can come to a meeting, right? But to do the work, page 58 tells us, if you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. What are the lengths, right? The first thing is we have to be willing to be honest. If we're not gonna be honest, we may as well walk out the door because no matter what else we do, it won't work. And then we take a first step. What does that mean? Well, the best way I can explain it is to liken it to a bridge, right? A bridge between my memory and my conscious mind. And on page 24 of the book, it tells me that my memory fails to keep me in check with food. So if I'm near a cat, I will have an asthma attack. So stored in my memory are all these data points of cat-induced asthma attacks. So if someone invites me to her house and has a cat, immediately my mind will grab the data points, generate a thought to run across the bridge and say, stop, danger, cats will give you an asthma attack. So I don't go. So you would think the same thing would help when it came to food, right? So there I'd go out to buy a box of cookies, telling myself, I'm just gonna have one. And in my brain are all these data points of me telling myself I'm gonna have just one, but I eat the whole box and then more and feel miserable the next day and gain weight and hate myself. So I'm about to go and have that box, but just eat one. And my memory does its job, grabs a data point, generate a thought to run across the bridge to say, stop, danger. You, you won't be able to eat just one. You'll eat the whole box. Remember, you'll hate yourself. You'll be miserable. Don't do it. Except unlike with cats, the bridge is broken between my memory and my conscious mind. And I have no protection against the first compulsive bite. The book tells us we have no mental defense, right? I don't have my memory to defend me. So what do I have to do? Once I realize that in step one, the rest of this program is really about building a bridge to God. Because if I don't have a mental protection from my memory, I need a different kind. And the kind that this book offers is spiritual protection, a spiritual defense. So what do I do? In step two, I come to believe that a power greater than myself, God, as I understand God, can restore me the sanity. And there's lots of exercises we can do if we're, we have trouble with that. We have lots of podcasts on that if anyone needs some help. Um, and we're happy to talk about it. So we get to a point where we can really trust God, that God's got my back. And then in step three, we turn our lives over to God. It's like, God, I'm going to do what you want instead of doing my agenda. 
And then what's the first thing he wants? We, we already learned he wanted us to stop being dishonest. He wants us to start being useful and to clear away the wreckage of our past. And that's what we do in steps four through nine. We do an inventory. We share it with another, usually our sponsor. We ask God to remove our defects and then we make our amends. Um, that was a three minute summary. Um, Melissa and I could talk about this for three hours or three days because we love talking about it. And again, happy to talk to anyone about it. But this is where we are now. We are on page 84. So we have gone through the steps and we've started reaping the promises. We talked about this last week. We now have serenity. We have peace. Self-pity is disappearing. Self-seeking is disappearing. Our whole attitude about life changes. It stops being about me. And it says, we will suddenly realize God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And then they say, are these extravagant promises, right? Like, psycho me, I mean, psycho in the past, I'm not psycho anymore, who used to go around like slashing myself with razors, you know, and then pretending I was mugged or raped to get attention. Um, those sounded like extravagant promises. And it says, are they? And it says, we think not. They are being fulfilled among us, fulfilled by God. I couldn't make myself care about other people, but God could change my heart. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, they will always materialize if we work for them. Okay, so what work? We've cleaned up our past. We started being honest. We started being nicer to people. What next? And it says this thought about the work we have to do so that we live in the promises brings us to step 10. And then the next few pages are about steps 10 and 11. Now, um, in debating societies all around 12-step rooms, there are debates raging on what's step 10 and what's step 11? Is my nightly review an 11-step or is it a 10-step? Okay. Remember, we've resigned from the debating society. So to keep it simple, I will say that step 10 is um, my inventory of myself, whether it's a spot check inventory or, an, or, or a nightly review. And step 11 is my prayer and meditation. So again, if you think it's you want to flip-flop them or combine them, it's fine. Just I had to pick away. That's the way. Um, so step 10, we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes. We're going to make mistakes we're not going to be zapped perfect. And sometimes it's not just mistakes. Sometimes we willfully do something wrong, right? A mistake is by accident. I step on your toe by accident. That's a mistake. You know, I punch you in the nose. That's not a mistake. That's a harm. Okay. So, but it says we're going to mess up. And it tells us we vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. So we don't wait until we're on step 10 to start being honest, to start looking for ways to help others, to start connecting with God. Um, I spoke with someone the other day and she said, I'm having trouble finding time like to connect with God. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? And she says, well, my sponsor's making me go to two meetings a day. And then she read off a list. I'm like, no, 
you know, it's like our book tells us first things first. And we only get recovered because God removes the obsession. So we need to develop a relationship with him. So first things first means God comes first. My relationship with God comes first. And they say, we, so I always tell my sponsees from day one, start spending time with God, 30 minutes in the morning, prayer, meditation, spiritual reading, have a relate, develop this relationship with God. So it says we vigorously commence this way of life. And then it says, we have entered the world of the spirit. That always makes me think of the wizard of Oz, right? When Dorothy goes from black and white to color, we're in the world of the spirit. What does that mean? It means if I do what I think God wants me to, God's going to take care of me. That's it. It's as simple as that. So the world of the spirit. So if I think about, and I read this somewhere, I didn't make this up, um, like birds, right? Birds don't fall out of the ground, fall to the ground. Why not? Like if I drop my phone, gravity is going to pull it to the ground. How come gravity doesn't pull all the birds to the ground? It's because there's a law of aerodynamics that transcends the law of gravity. And when we enter the world of the spirit, we transcend the world of tit for tat and right and wrong. And I need to get my way. It's done. I do what God wants me to, and I just trust him with the results. That's what living in the world of the spirit is. And it tells me um, our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness, effectiveness, more useful to God and others, and understanding, a deepening of my love relationship with my creator. So two things I'm supposed to work on for the rest of my life. And what glorious things, right? Like a deeper love relationship with God and getting better at helping others. And says this continues for a lifetime. So what do we do? We look for the things that get in the way, right? It's like if I'm trying to make a garden, I need to pull up the weeds, I can't just say, well, I'm planting beautiful flowers. Like I just expect them to grow roses. I got to do some weeding. And this is what we need to do. So what are our weeds? Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up as weeds do, what do we do? We identify it. We ask God to remove them, discuss them with someone and make amends, then help others. So that's kind of our spiritual gardening um, blueprint. We identify it and we don't, um, we don't sugarcoat it. That's one of the fastest ways to get ourselves in trouble is to, um, is to rationalize. I talked to someone yesterday and she gave me permission to say this. I had, um, she'd asked me to sponsor her. I told her to listen to a podcast and she told me she was about to go out jogging. And I'm like, don't listen to it when you're jogging, you know, like, and so she came back, she listened. And then she said, you know what? I listened to it while I was walking. And I told myself that you said jogging. So walking was okay. But she realized that that was a rationalization. And so good for her. I said, like, she admitted it, right? She's like, oh, you know, like, basically I was rationalizing. 
And so we don't want to do that. We, I mean, I've, I have confessed really dark, ugly things about myself. Now I'm careful about who I confess them to. Um, I don't confess them to straight people. I don't know in recovery. Like if I have something heavy duty to confess, I don't, me personally, I don't just like type, I need someone to hear a 10 step because I don't know who's going to be listening to me. I call someone who I know won't judge me. So again, when we're sponsors or hearing someone's 10 step, we don't judge. I, I, I mean, I took a razor across my lip. Who am I to judge anything that anyone ever did? So we don't judge but we're hard on hard on ourselves, not in the fact of, oh, I'm a piece of trash. Look what I did. But it's like, look what I did. I'm a human being. God, please forgive me. Remove this defect. Help me to do better. And then I move on and I plant more roses, right? I move on and I, and I go and help people. And then it just says, Love and tolerance of others is our code. And if you missed it, Melissa did a fantastic talk on this just this past Thursday, which you could find um, on Podbean. Love and tolerance of others is our code. Not getting my way, um, just being loving, which means by definition, putting the welfare of others ahead of myself, doing self-sacrifice for the good of other people. That's my code. That's how I live. And it tells us we've stopped fighting anything and anyone, right? We don't have to win debates. If someone comes to me and says, you know, you're wrong. The nightly review is an 11 step. It's not a 10 step. It's like, you may be right. It's okay. I don't need to win debates. Um, and I'm a lawyer. I don't need to win any debates. Um, and it says we fought, we've ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol or for us food. For by this time, sanity will have returned. And it tells us the two ways sanity has returned. One, we will seldom be interested in liquor or food not on our food plan. Something changes in us. We don't have the obsession anymore. And if tempted, because we're human, so there'll be temptations every now and then, we recoil from it as if from a hot flame. Remember, the book says I have no effective mental defense. I can't think, oh, this is a hot flame. It will burn me. We don't do that. If we're near an open flame, we don't sit there and, you know, go through the steps. It's, you know, of thinking about it. If I touch it, it's fire. Fire is hot. It will burn. It's automatic. And that's what happens to us. We get an automatic defense. It says we react sanely and normally. And we will find that this has happened automatically. Top of page 85. We will see our new attitude toward liquor or food has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. Given us by who? Who gives that to me? Well, there's only one being capable of giving that to me. And that is God. God gives that to us as a gift. It says without any thought or effort on our part, without any thought or effort about resisting the food, like with our, you know, with our fingertips bloody, um, cause we have to fight it. Um, maybe at the beginning, it's like that a little bit, but that's why we have a fellowship. And that's why we got to get through the steps quickly to connect with God really quickly. Um, so it says it just 
comes. That is the miracle of it. You know, at its essence, this program is not about rules and tools and food plans and meetings. It is about a miracle. It is about God coming into our hearts and minds and doing like a cosmic renovation job. That's what this program is about. And then what's the result? We're not fighting. We're not avoiding temptation. Now, at the beginning, we may have to avoid temptation. I, I, I remember early on, I was at work and there was a pizza party and I just sat in the back room and ate my meal by myself. I had to avoid temptation at the beginning. Now, if you ask me, I couldn't even tell you where the candy is in my grocery store. Like, again, because God changes us. We feel as though we had been placed by who? By God in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. And I think this is really important. Sometimes people, if they're abstinent for a day, they'll say, I was good today. And it's like, uh-uh, we're not good. We're protected. We're protected. And it says, this is our experience. We're not cocky or afraid. This is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Well, how do I stay protected, right? How do I get and stay protected? Again, so let's say, this is back to like middle school social studies. There's a king, he's got a land and people work the land, right? And in exchange, the king being a loving king protects the people when the outside armies come and attack, you know, pulls up the drawbridges, so if I'm on the king's land, I'm safe and protected. How do I get there? I'm honest, I help others. But what if I wander off the king's land by resentment, by fears, by harms to others, by saying, no one's gonna tell me what to do, even if he's the one who flung all the stars in the sky. No, and I wander off the king's land. When the invading army comes and the king pulls up the drawbridge, I'm not going to be there safe and protected, not because the king doesn't love me, but because I've wandered off the land. Okay, so the only way I am abstinent that I believe any compulsive eater can be abstinent for any period of time is by being protected by God. And then it tells us the one thing that's easy to do in this program, it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels to say, yeah, I did it yesterday. I don't have to do it today. And it says we are headed for trouble if we do for alcohol is a subtle foe. And it tells us we're not cured. We just have a daily reprieve. What's a reprieve? A stay of execution contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition says every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. I mean, that's really cool. God has a will for me in all my activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. So if you're new and thinking, okay, what do I do what, during the day? One thing you can do is throughout the day, just say that to yourself. How can I, or, or say it to God. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. And it says, then we can exercise our willpower. If I'm trying to think, what is God's will and trying to do it? And they tell us, okay, 
Much has been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. Okay, guys, God, who has all knowledge and power, is going to give some of that to us. And it says, if we've carefully followed directions, which means we haven't lied, we, we've made our amends, or we're in the process of finishing up our financial amends, um, we're helping others. If we've carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. I mean, so God supplies what I lack. I have this um, condition where my body doesn't make enough antibodies to like fight infections. So what they want to do is give me infusions of antibodies so that when the enemy infections try to attack me, I've got backup, not my own because my body can't do it, but an infusion. Okay. And that's what God gives us. He knows we don't have the strength, the inspiration and the direction, the power we need. So he gives us a spiritual infusion. And what this is, it's a vital sixth sense. It's knowing what would God have me do? And it says, okay, so let's talk about it. Step 11. And by the way, um, I for one, do not claim that in every situation I have a vital sixth sense and know what to do. A lot of times it's just common sense. And a lot of times, if we're not sure, we can just ask ourselves, what does love look like in this situation? And the fact that if we even care for me, that I even care to ask that question shows that there has to be a God because that was not me on my own. Step 11, suggest prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy on this. Page 86, better men than we are are using it constantly. It works if, so there's conditions for prayer to work. Um, we have the proper attitude and work at it. So we have to work at it. We have to put in the time, not just, not saying God doesn't answer emergency prayers because sometimes he does. Um, but we don't really want that kind of relationship with God because then we're treating God like a genie in the bottle. Just come out when I need you, then go back in your bottle. That's not the kind of relationship that this program requires. And we have to have the proper attitude. Well, what's the proper attitude? I think we have to see God as he is. And again, it doesn't matter what our religion or even if there's no religion, but to realize God deserves to be, we know, surrendered to, but worshiped and kind of adored. I don't, not even kind of adored, like loved just for being God. I remember when my kids were little, um, I said, Daniel, you know, what do you want to pray for today? And he just said, like, I want to pray for God. Um, he just wanted like for God. And I think, I think that's really sweet. Like God wants something like that. God wants us to worship him. Again, it's so easy to find, you know, you can take your religion and Google worship songs for Jewish people, Christian people, you know, whatever worship songs for sec. I don't know if there's worship songs for atheists. I would think um, probably not, but worship songs, just praise him. Start with praise. 
And it says, um, when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. It's interesting, this is kind of tied up with prayer, but it really is reviewing my day and repenting of what I've done wrong is a big part of prayer. I mean, repentance is a part of probably every religion. And that's what they're saying, you know, that we, that if I want to hear from God and I've just been really nasty to someone, I need to clear up that nastiness first and make amends before I can expect to hear from God. So it's like, um, we have to clear the channel so that God can fill the channel. So this is what I, we do, right? We review our day. Were we selfish? Were we dishonest? Um, what could we have done better? Couple thoughts on this. I once heard someone say, my sponsor told me that if you say you weren't dishonest, then you're being dishonest right there. And I say, I totally disagree with that because we are not supposed to be dishonest. Sometimes we are, and then it goes on the list. But it really is possible to go through a day and not be dishonest and not have a resentment and not be afraid. What good would a program be if it says, yeah, every single day you're going to be, you know, this angry, fearful, lying mess? Some days I am. But we're not supposed to be. And we're so that's why we have this review. However, what could we have done better? Oh, I was always, there's something we could have done better. If we think about it, what could I have done a little better? And it says, okay, we make our review and it tells us we have to be careful. So that's like a warning sign. Don't drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection. So we don't beat ourselves up and say, I'm a terrible person. I called Melissa up once and said, um, like, I realized I'm prejudiced against, I don't even remember what it was, but I just like, I'm prejudiced. I never thought I was like that. But what I do, I confessed it to another person, to God, ask God to forgive me, change my heart. And that's it. I don't beat myself up over it. Um, because then what good would I be if I say, oh, I'm such a terrible person. I can't help anyone. You know, I mean, I'm sure the illness would like me to be quiet, but I don't think God would. I mean, maybe my husband would sometimes, but, you know, we're not supposed to be quiet about this message. So we're supposed to feel good about ourselves. Like, yes, I messed up, but God forgives me. I tried to fix it. I'll try and do a little better tomorrow. And it says, when we wake up, we think about our day and we ask God to keep us free from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. We can't feel sorry for ourselves. How can we? We're not binging. God's got our back. God's got a glorious will for us. No self-pity, um, no dishonesty, and no self-seeking. And it says, you know, under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties for God gave us brains to use. We are to use our brains and we can ask questions. I don't believe in a sponsor who says, I'll give you your assignment. And then you just say, yes, ma'am. And don't ask me any questions. Uh-uh. Ask questions. If you don't understand, if you want to learn more, if you want to do more, ask questions. Um, it's fine. Um, and then it says, in thinking about our day, 
we may face indecision. We don't know what to do. And it says, we ask God, God, give me inspiration and intuitive thought. And then we relax. Sometimes the answers come. It says they start coming more and more. But what we do is we check with someone. If I get, you know, a radical thought, like, I think I should do this. I'm going to check with, you know, my nightly review partner with my sponsor. As far as nightly review partners, um, I want to say a couple words about that. So generally, um, I think if everyone who sponsored kept talking to all their sponsees and get, you know, going through everything every day, there'd never be time to take on new sponsees. Now, again, this is my opinion. So if I know of people who say I sponsor four people and I've had these same four people for years and years and years. I don't agree. I mean, I, I won't say I disagree with that. That's not how I do it because I want to work with new people and a person shouldn't need their sponsor um, every day forever. They should be going out and sponsoring and relying more on God. So what I tell my sponsees is, I'm always here for you. Um, maybe check in once a week. And obviously, if there's a problem, feel free to call me. But get yourself a partner, someone who's been through the steps, is really serious about the steps, trade your nightly review with them. I take my sponsees nightly review for about the first week or so to make sure they know what they're doing. Say, get a partner and talk to that person every day, every other day and, you know, work with them. So, you know, it's good to just have a partner and then have a God squad, right? Um, so God squad is just a group of people who know my stuff. So if I call them and I say, Oh, here's what, you know, my daughter did or my son, my son did, or here's how I was mean to, you know, my husband today, this person will know my history, you know, maybe half a dozen people who really know us and who won't just say, oh, you poor thing. Yeah. If I had your kids, I'd be complaining too. Someone say, I hear you. You've had a hard day. Now let's hear your resentment inventory. Those are the kind of people we want in our lives. Not the ones who say, you know, poor you right? In AA, they say, pour me, pour me, pour me another drink. In OA, we just say self-pity parties end with a cake. So we don't want that. We want people who are going to, you know, kind of love us, but support us in our recovery. Um, page 87, it just tells us again, very specifically what we pray for. Um, we pray well, first we go in and we, I always pray for knowledge of God's will for me and the power to carry it out. And how can I help the still suffering compulsive eater? That's generally what I say going into meditation. And then at the end, we ask for whatever we need to take care of the problems that show up during the day and for freedom from self-will. Um, bottom of page 87, it just has kind of a way we can manage our day. As we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. So if I'm agitated, so read anxious, fearful, um, I'm agitated, I'm keyed up. Either there's an action I need to be taking or my thinking is wrong. 
we constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show. Humbly saying to ourselves many times a day, thy will be done. And then it tells us what's dangerous to us. Excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. These can go away. We get more efficient. We're not so tired because we're not burning up energy foolishly, being so agitated. And it tells us it works. It really does. Um, then they tell us, but there's more action. Faith without works is dead. So they're saying the next big thing you need to do, and which Melissa will talk about on Thursday, is help others. Because that, you know, we get recovered. And then we have to do three things, three. We can't do two out of three. We have to kind of weed our spiritual garden, right? Look at our defects, confess them to God and another, ask God to remove them. Okay, we need to do that. We need to be on top of our defects and we all have them. We need to pray and meditate to get closer to God and we need to help others. And there's just one last thing I want to um, mention there's a pamphlet called How to, Lis How to Listen to God by James Batterson. And it's a three-page, if you put how to, let me see, How to Listen to God PDF, um, it'll take you to it. Or the website is aainthedesert.org under documents how to listen to God. And it says, if you're not, and it says a few things about God, God is alive. He always has been and always will be. And this is a technique that the early AAs used. Um, God knows everything. He can do anything. He can be everywhere at the same time. Um, anyone can be in touch with God anywhere at any time if the conditions are obeyed and they tell us basically be quiet you know take the time and they say if you're not hearing from god if we don't hear from god here's what we look at is there something i won't do that i know god wants me to is there an amend i haven't made right a habit that i know is wrong that i won't give up a person i will not forgive a wrong relationship in my life, I won't give up. Something God has already asked me to do and I will not do it. So these are the things that will block God. But then it, um, it closes with something beautiful and I'll close with this. When man listens, God speaks. When man obeys, God acts. This is the law of prayer. God's plan for this world goes forward through the lives of ordinary people who are willing to be governed by him. And with that, I pass. Thanks.